When it's time to find a more consultative and mindful approach to IT solutions, it's time to turn to the experts at Pinnacle. This is On Air with Pinnacle, your go-to resource for custom technology solutions with the attention you deserve. In today's Pinnacle podcast, we're going to be discussing the types of virtualization and the difference in Red Hat's open source virtualization from other virtualization products. From there, we're going to move into the exciting topic of automation and what it is and what the benefits are. Thanks for joining. I'm Brandy Seymour, Senior Director of Professional Services here at Pinnacle. And with me, I have Jim Garrett, who is the Chief Architect within the Partner Organization for Red Hat. Jim, thanks for joining me today. Yep, thanks, Brandy. Great talking to you, and, and I appreciate the opportunity. So first, we're going to talk about virtualization, as I mentioned. And I think virtualization is you know, commonly known throughout the IT industry, specifically how it can increase IT agility, flexibility, and scalability while creating significant cost savings. But it's such a broad term, especially when we consider the different segments within the IT infrastructure. So what I'd like to ask first is, for those listening, can you briefly describe the different segments of IT virtualization? You bet. You know, when I think of virtualization, first of all, the thing that I think about is it's really just a buzzword at this point. It's a really simple concept, at least in theory. Uh, But the simple explanation is that you have a virtual version of something that's generally used for some type of execution. So for example, if you were to take a partition of a hard drive and you create two hard drives out of it, then that would be two virtualized hard drives. So the hardware is is technically a single hard drive that is digitally separated into two. Using that as an example, there are a lot of other different types of virtualization. And, And I break it down into basically five key concepts. The first one most people are familiar with, which is operating system virtualization. For example, taking virtual machines or, 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 or breaking that operating system down into virtual machines. You also have a second one, which is server virtualization, uh, breaking a physical server into multiple unique or isolated virtual servers. You also have application virtualization where you're, you're able to access an application remotely. The application may be installed on one server, but it's virtualized and you can access it from another server. Network virtualization is another environment where people are very familiar, and that deals with uh, separating the, a one network into multiple networks. And then a, a fifth one, which most people haven't heard of, is actually storage virtualization. You know, you're assembling different physical hard drives and pushing them out for virtual access. And what's interesting, if you look at today's virtualization, a lot of this is done with software. So we have software-defined storage. We have software-defined networking, software-defined operating systems. And that's really what differentiates it from what we saw, say, 30 years ago when companies dealt with more hardware. They had um, a bare metal machine, bare metal server, and the concept of breaking that up into multiple virtual machines didn't exist. So with that said, um, and, and that's that's a great point that there are several different types of virtualization. And thank you for clarifying that and providing examples. I think that's important to note. So with that said, Red Hat uses open source virtualization that isn't tied to proprietary licenses. Explain to me why this matters. 
So this is a really important point to understand about Red Hat, and that is that we are, in, first of all, an open source company. Nothing that we sell do you require a license for, but what you do is you buy a subscription for that. Now, when you're talking about open source virtualization, I think what you're talking about is the technology at the Linux operating system level, which we call KVM. KVM stands for kernel-based virtual machine. And again, that's an open source technology that's available to every Linux that's out there. So what KVM does is it turns your Linux into a hypervisor that allows a host machine to run multiple isolated virtual machines. So what's important to note is that KVM is part of Linux. If you've got Linux, basically anything above Linux version 2.6, then you've got KVM. You don't need to buy any additional software in order to run that virtual machine. This also implies you can deploy and run virtual machines by the dozens simply because you've chosen Linux as your operating system. One other thing I'd like to add, you know, a lot of companies are really entrenched with virtual machines, but they want to go down maybe a new road, which is what people are looking at, which is containers or the container platform. So Red Hat also has a container platform, it's called OpenShift, and it can be used to deploy virtual machines as containers. So if you use virtual machines today, and you really don't feel like you can switch and rewrite all of your code to work inside of a container, you can actually deploy those virtual machines inside of our container platform without having to rework any of your code. Yeah, that's really interesting. How easy is it for a customer to deploy that and utilize that if they already have a virtualized environment? It's super easy. So we we can take those virtual machines and very easily put them into a container. And along with that, once, you, once you've achieved that, once you've containerized your virtual machine, you now have created a means by which you can much easier jump to the cloud if you want mm. to. So if you wanted to start using the Amazon cloud or the Google cloud or the IBM cloud, you could easily do that by using your containerized virtual machine. That's great to know. We hear all the time in the IT realm about how deploying an automation platform across your organization can help you transform IT to support modern, fast-changing digital businesses. But what you know, does this really mean to those working in the IT fields and those responsible for managing and leading IT teams? I think that's what all of us are asking as we try to really understand the concept of automation and, and what it means for us. So with that, can you help me understand just by simply defining for myself and for our audience what IT automation really is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, most people, when they think of IT automation, they think of this new buzzword, which is infrastructure as a service. Um, so IT automation is often referred to as the infrastructure automation, and it's defined as the use case of software to create repeatable processes to either replace or reduce human interaction. So, so let me give you an example of IT automation. Um, let's say in order to run a business, you need infrastructure. And of course that infrastructure has to be set up. What used to be all about like racks and boxes and cables in a data center is now mostly virtualized assets from software-defined data centers and networks and storage to virtual machines and containers. Most of what we do now is defined in software. And the move to software 
has increased the capacity of actually what's possible. This move also provides the ability to do what we call codifying the process. And here's where automation comes in. Why should you spend time setting up these environments manually? With codification, you have a template that you follow to do the work. And if you have a template, why not have an automated system follow those rules instead? So with automation, you can create consistent and repeatable processes capable of rolling out your entire deployment in your data center. And that all stems from the fact that with virtualization, we have created the way to codify the creation of those environments. That's great information, thank you. With that said, why is this such an important topic for um, departments within the IT or leaders of an IT organization to really learn more about or to become more engaged um, with the, the concept of automation? So I believe that automation is actually the key to any digital transformation effort and is the solution to allowing your IT environments to scale. I believe you're hard pressed to find anyone in the business that says they have time and ability to handle every single task that's asked of them on a day-to-day -day basis. So many of us are focused on tedious tasks that shift our focus away from our strategic initiatives. By automating those tasks, we provide value in many different ways, which is why automation is so important. So, you know, today's architecture is increasingly non-homogenous and it's complex. And businesses are looking for ways to simply do more with less, and they wanna maximize the efficiency of their current resources. Automation provides the method to increase your productivity and to accelerate your business outcomes. And it also helps to minimize errors. And in fact, there's, there's a fact that I wanted to share along this, this question. Um, last year in 2020, Gartner actually did a study and they determined that by the year 2025, more than 90% of your enterprises will have an actual automation architect on staff which is actually an increase of 20% compared to the year 2020. What this tells me is that automation is a discussion that's happening everywhere. That is really interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us. So based on that, most organizations, as you just stated, are using some form of automation, but it's in a limited capacity. What is the difference between an automation tool and an automation platform? And why does knowing the difference matter in order to expand the capacity of how they are utilizing automation? It's a great question. But let me answer that question with an example. Think about what your system administrators do today when they set up and configure an infrastructure or even a cloud environment. Without any tools, they are delegated to memorize, type, and retype command lines that are used to provision and configure that infrastructure. Often your administrators type the same commands dozens of times every day as they manage those environments. What the automation tool does is provide a way for those commands to be documented, played, and replayed using what we call a playbook. In this sense, the playbook becomes the reusable artifact so that now when an administrator wants to configure something, they simply run the playbook where all the steps are already arranged and then they're executed. Over the course of time, those system administrators may create hundreds or even thousands of playbooks. 
so many playbooks get created that you now have an administrative challenge that you need to address. Not only how do you manage playbooks, but also how do you provide a generic platform from which the playbooks can be executed against other environments? That's where the automation platform comes into play. The platform becomes that one place where playbooks are stored and also that one place where the playbooks are executed and can be executed against other systems in a dynamic way. So in this sense, the platform can be used to store environment information, such as what your infrastructure components are, and it could also store authentication information for those environments. And so with this combination, the platform gives you access to the administrative systems without having any knowledge of the authentication information of that system. So the platform really becomes the way that you can now automate the automation tool. That's a great example. And that platform being with Red Hat Ansible. So you kind of have already answered my question as far as what you can you know, automate and what you can accomplish with the Red Hat Ansible. But I'd love to hear more about how Red Hat's Ansible product can empower an organization to boost innovation and value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's a really simple one-line answer, and that is that no one likes repetitive tasks. Uh, with Ansible, your administrators can begin automating away the drudgery of their daily tasks. And what this does, the end result, is it frees them so that they can focus on maybe tasks that help deliver more value to the business. You know, ultimately, what Ansible does is it gives back time so they can focus on other things. Yeah, great point. So it allows the team's time to focus on high value initiatives and then also reduce and eliminate risks, errors, and high costs associated with the routine tasks that they were doing beforehand, right? Exactly, exactly. So can you speak to how certain roles within an IT realm or even within um, an organization should consider why automation may be something for them? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting when you think about the different ways that uh, automation affects different roles in your organization. Um, For the system administrator, automation provides a great way to take that redundant and mundane task that they perform dozens of times a day and automate those tasks so they can save time. Uh, I've actually spoken with administrators who have conveyed that when they start using Ansible, they actually start taking almost every task and creating a playbook. And over the course of time, ironically, what happens is they start to forget the commands that they used to type day after day after day uh, because they're using the playbooks instead. And now when they run that task, instead of taking hours or days possibly to run all the series of tasks for a given, let's say, virtual installation, um, they instead, It only takes seconds or minutes to run the entire playbook with every task done automatically. And again, this saves time and allows your administrators to focus on other tasks throughout their day. Now, of course, that's the administrator's perspective. What about somebody higher up? What about a a CIO, for example? From the CIO's perspective, again, it's, it's about being able to do more with less. By leveraging an automation platform, your teams, are able to be smaller and they can actually handle more load because the tasks they perform are automated. 
And one of the great features we have with Ansible is we have libraries that exist out in the ecosystem with playbooks that people have uploaded and can share across the ecosystem. So again, from that CIO's perspective and system administrator perspective, we have other people who are contributing to these playbooks and they can download and use them for free. They can maybe take them apart and use the pieces they like and throw the rest away. Uh, but it really does provide an interesting paradigm for how the different roles in your organization can benefit from automation. Those are great examples. Thank you, Jim. So in doing a little bit of research on current automation statistics and what that looks like right now for a lot of IT departments, I found that only 18% of organizations actually consider themselves very effective at employing automation in software development and or maintenance. And so this leads me to believe that maybe one reason organizations are not exploring the automation platform is simply due to a lack of understanding of the benefits. What are your thoughts? Well, believe it or not, I spent over 30 years doing software development in the enterprise space. And um, I, I've seen what you, what you just described personally. And my, my core thoughts on that are people need to wake up, quite honestly. Software development involves so much more than just development and maintenance. The typical development project starts with the definition and creation of infrastructure in your environment. This can include operating systems, packages and libraries, network storage, and, and a lot of other components. Historically, the lead architect is responsible to, for defining this in the architecture document. And that document, along with its environment definition, is then used by developers to create their own environments. Once the development proceeds, the document is then used to create test and quality assurance and eventually production environments. At each stage in time, obviously time is consumed in the manual creation of that environment. And inevitably at some point, the environment's gonna incur a change. For example, a new package or library is applied. And then every facet in the environment is affected and updated. Without automation, this quickly becomes a very error prone exercise where, where huge amounts of time is wasted when something isn't done correctly. Now, when you introduce the automation platform where every step can be documented and executed in a predetermined order, whenever the environment needs a change, it's made in the playbook and then it gets reapplied to every environment. When you create a new pristine environment, simply run the playbook. When your code changes uh, and maybe old code is updated or new code is added, you run the playbook to compile and build that change and then if you want to, apply it into your test, your QA, or your production environments. With this paradigm, you completely eliminate the challenges incurred by the manual process. And quite honestly, I think you sleep better at night knowing that the environments are consistent and that they're clean every time they're updated. And, and, and there's one thing that absolutely goes away when you, when you start to automate the creation of your development environment, and that is, your developers can no longer say it works on my machine. <laughs> it doesn't work anywhere else. <laughs> uh, can't tell you how many times I heard that one. Yeah, that's a great point, Jim. <laughs> Something else that I thought might be holding organizations back on moving forward with you know, the automation journey is this all or nothing concept. 
explain to our audience how enterprise-wide automation can be done in phases. Yeah, so again, great question. Um, automation has a place, I think, in every IT organization and is uh, certainly not an all or nothing proposition. I think you're right that there are some organizations that could be holding back on this concept. And, and honestly, there's merit there. Um, often we find that IT leaders may have reservations about automation, uh, how it might affect production stability, um, and they may be reluctant to drop in an automation solution. So I like to think of this as you peel back the onion. You take phase or a step-by-step -step approach, especially when adopting an automation strategy. You know, you can't flip the switch and automate your entire business in five minutes. So there's typically five stages to automation adoption, and that begins with an overarching strategy to identify your objectives, address the processes and your tooling, as well as looking at things like your skill gaps. You start to build your foundation from where an initial set of workflows is automated, deployed, and maybe managed by a pilot team. And from there, you'll begin to integrate a set of standardized workflows with your business. And those workflows are gonna support increased oversight, maybe orchestration or, or other benefits. After your successful automation of a core set of workflows, then adoption starts to kick in and automation approaches can be applied across all your projects and even your more critical processes. And lastly, there's a point where organization-wide automation teams are rapidly launching workflows and those orchestrations to meet all of your changing requirements. So I, I like to tell my partners and my customers to build successfully on the wins in their automation journey. You know, automate the low-hanging fruit that won't negatively affect production and then scale from there. That's great advice. Go after the low-hanging fruit and then peel it back one layer at a time, celebrating your wins along the way. That's correct. So for an organization that may be considering kind of what areas to begin their automation journey, you mentioned low-hanging fruit. What would you recommend specifically, uh, you know, would be the low-hanging fruit that they could target? So, so without question, I think you know, your, your initial steps involve what it is you want to automate. If it's development and operations, then define what tools and processes and procedure you use. If it's infrastructure, network, or storage, uh, then again, look at those components and educate yourself on the modules that are used to automate those pieces. Once the components are defined, then you need to document the manual steps that you use when doing all those mundane hand, handwritten steps that you've done in the past. And then you take those steps and you code them into an automation playbook. Of course, once the playbooks are defined, you, you then need to, to manage and store the playbooks using whatever source code repository it is that you use so that you can actually treat those playbooks as code and you can track changes and you can create that security bubble around those playbooks. And then once the playbooks are defined and you also need an inventory, for example, what servers, what network devices, uh, you know, what pieces of the puzzle comprise your environment. And, and that inventory needs to be documented also in your automation platform. And last but not least, you, you need to think about training your staff so that they know how to leverage the automation platform correctly. You know, just looking at Ansible automation, we have over 3,000 modules and growing daily. 
for the different things that we can automate. We can automate infrastructure, we can automate cloud, we can automate DevOps operations, um, you name it. I mean, we, we have partners across the board that constantly contribute into our upstream code. And so training is definitely a key recommendation. On that note, um, as far as what areas to begin the automation journey with, I'm thinking of areas such as read-only tasks, right? That may be a, a good place to start. What else would you what, what else would you add on to that? Again, I, I look at that question and I and I have to say our customers need to answer that question because what they need to do is start with the tasks that their administrators perform most frequently. You know, list those tasks out, rank them in order of importance, and start looking for the modules that can then automate those tasks and then create the playbook from there. Great feedback. Thank you, Jim. So let's talk about automation in the general segments of IT, you know, the infrastructure, which would be the network security, et cetera. What are different ways the automation can further enable these three departments, that being infrastructure, network, and security, again, for overall improved productivity? So, you know, here's one of the reasons I love working at Red Hat is, is this question is really interesting because it's important to note that at Red Hat, for example, we are not a security company. We are not a network company, and we're not even really necessarily an infrastructure company, but, but what we are is an open source company. And what that implies is all of our products have a free upstream version, which outside individuals can contribute to. And in this sense, we can enhance or add to our existing offering by contributing to the upstream version. Uh, what this mentality fosters is a sense of partnership with other vendors who see the value in what we do and how it can integrate with and enhance the products which we sell. So let me give you an example. Um, as I mentioned, we're not a network company but we have partners who develop network products and who find benefit from our automation platform. For example, um, did you know that 71% of network vendors today still use command line interfaces to manage their network devices? 71%. Imagine a network administrator you know, for the average data center. Imagine how many different network vendors have products on his network. And then imagine using the command line to run commands to manage those products. Yes. Yeah, those, those network administrators have to memorize and type and retype the command line commands dozens of times a day, hundreds of times a month, maybe thousands of times every year. And this paradigm is definitely time consuming and very error prone. So network companies, believe it or not, have no desire to be automation experts. And so they find partners who provide good solutions to everyday automation problems. And at Red Hat, these partners have the ability to contribute to our upstream source code trees. What we found is that our partners see the potential with our automation platform, and they're actually willing to contribute code that can be leveraged to manage their network devices. And I, and I think, how cool is that? Let's apply that paradigm to security. Uh, again, Red Hat definitely has security built into our products. However, we are not a security company. There are dozens of companies who provide that specific niche, and many of them are partners with Red Hat contributing changes into our upstream Ansible security code stream. The end result 
is that Ansible now has modules that enable an administrator to connect with and automate their security products spanning across vendors and across other ecosystems. You know, for example, Ansible has modules that allow it to connect to enterprise firewalls, to intrusion detection and prevention systems, to event management systems, and many other tools. With Ansible, you create the playbooks that are used to aggregate all these systems together, and you unify that security response to outside forces like cyber attacks. So, so by automating your security capabilities, organizations can actually unify responses to attacks through the coordination of multiple disparate security solutions, helping those technologies act as one in the face of a security event. It's actually really cool what we what we're capable of. That is cool. That is cool. And I can hear I can hear your passion for it coming through as well. So, thank you for sharing that. I'm curious what would you say to those who are hesitant with the thought that this may replace them? Um, and the job that they fulfill for their organization. Because I, I think that, I think there's this fear that automation replaces um, the need for potential or, or certain resources within a department. Yeah, uh, and that's, that's actually a very common fear. However, I believe that when you, when you start to leverage, um, let's say an automation platform, it actually makes you more valuable to your organization. Uh, the, the different environments that, all of our administrators maintain, they almost never get smaller. You know, over the course of time, uh, the needs of your organizations are going to grow as that company grows. And with that, if you can show that your productivity increases by leveraging an automation tool, then this is going to make you more valuable to your company. And if by some odd chance your company begins to shrink, you know who they're going to keep are the individuals who are most productive. And I think the automation tool keeps you productive. It makes you more productive. Any last thoughts to share around virtualization, the containers that we had mentioned earlier in this podcast, or mm -hmm. automation as a whole with our audience? So I, I think the number one challenge uh, with doing something new is the learning curve that's required to make it happen. But when you start to create consistent and repeatable tasks, with something like the Ansible automation platform, it couldn't be more simple. The, believe it or not, the average learning curve that's required to create your first playbook is about 15 minutes. Once you become proficient, the time that you save with Ansible is far out gonna outweigh any time spent learning the product. Jim, uh, I wanna stop you for just a second because I think you just hit on something that's actually really important. You just said the amount of time expected to be spent on creating that first playbook is 15 minutes. Correct. It's very, very simple to use. Uh, our playbooks are defined in, in an ASCII language called YAML. You, you literally lay out the playbook and, and, and you, you define that YAML inside of the playbook. The tasks are going to be executed in order. And again, it, it takes 15 minutes to learn how to use YAML and to use the Ansible playbook. Um, and, and you know, to add on to that, um, and, and this, is, this is a really important statistic that, that I think everybody needs to hear. So um, Red Hat at one point in time hired International Data Corporation as an unbiased outside resource to calculate the average return on investment that Ansible provides. And after interviewing multiple Ansible customers, 
what they discovered is that over a five month period, it was perceived that an average company is gonna achieve a 500% return on investment once their processes are automated. I look at that and I say, if you're not automating today, then it's your loss. That's a pretty significant number that cannot be ignored. You're absolutely right. Jim, with that, we are out of time. Thank you all for joining and listening into our podcast today. I appreciate everybody and your attention. Please reach out to us if you have any questions. Um, we'd love to talk more. Jim, once again, thank you so much. Yep, thank you.